Hello and a very warm welcome to the next episode of Series 2 of Working It Out, a podcast series from Advanced. I'm Louise Minchin and I'm being joined by industry leaders, academics and business leaders throughout the series as they give their take on business leadership and the challenges facing us today. Now, last year, it seemed the world took sustainability and diversity more seriously than ever before. Bold commitments were made by world leaders at the Climate Change Conference, COP22, and diversity and inclusion targets were set and measured by more companies than ever before. However, much has also happened since then with political change, conflict and socio-economic fragility. So where are we today? As the global economy enters a more uncertain phase, it appears there's no cavalry coming to solve the world's issues And perhaps businesses need to consider their own footprint and what is possible and encourage diverse thinking and cultures. What would that look like? What would it mean? In this episode, we're looking at the importance of inclusive cultures in responsible technology. And I'm pleased to be joined by Jacqueline de Rojas, CBE and former president of Tech UK, also president of Digital Leaders and co-chair of the Institute of Coding. So many things to your name, Jacqueline. It's great to be speaking to you about this. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here talking all things diversity and tech. It's my favourite subjects. <laughs> Which is excellent. I suppose the first question is, could you explain why you think that inclusivity um, should be at the top for businesses? What difference does it make and why should it be so important? Well, I suppose where I'd start is, is that every company is a technology company today. And given that that's true, Technology is at the heart of everything that we do, which means that diversity matters more than before. You know, I always, of course, believe that diversity is a noble cause, but also diverse teams make better business decisions 87% of the time, I think it is, according to Gartner. But for tech companies, if our lives are going to be more dependent than ever on tech, we better make sure that we have diverse voices around the table when we're building, testing, implementing and designing this technology. Otherwise, you know, the algorithms will run away with themselves. If you think about it, if an algorithm's going to make a decision about whether you get that job interview, that pay rise, that place at university, you want to make sure that people who are writing that algorithm come from the same place as you do, right? So it's got to start um you give me an inkling there, right at the heart of things, at the beginning where those ideas are, where the very concept of a business starts. Yes, absolutely. Because, you know, we have to create a digital future that works for everybody. Digital adoption is so incredibly high. The pandemic has heightened that and accelerated that. So our skill set needs to be you know, all over the tech and digital accessibility area. We all need to have lifelong learning when it comes to staying and keeping up with technology. But, you know, if we don't build it in day one, then we're going to have to retrofit. And that's a very hard place to start from. Because computers learn as they go along. They do. Don't they? Software and hardware. This is the thing. Not only do they learn, they learn at lightning speed. And so if you don't have that diversity in the design process, you are really going to amplify, create that false multiplier in in a biased world. And and we live in a world that's full of bias already, don't we? Um, So let's talk about unintended consequences. So if you don't have this at your start of your business, you just gave the example, didn't you, of perhaps somebody who 
should be getting a place at university doesn't or doesn't get a job. But what are the other sort of unintended consequences that might happen? Yeah. So, I mean, there, it, I think in, um, you know, we, we live in a world where, let's say, um, great example would be car parking in the centre of, of towns and villages. You know, 67% of our elderly people no longer use the car parks because they don't know how to use the app. And so we have designed them out. And so what, what do we do about that? And, and interestingly, really interestingly about that, I asked um, a delegation of tech, tech people at London Tech Week from Estonia, which is a country with the largest uh, tech adoption uh, in, in the, on the planet. And I said, you know, what would you do with this problem of the elderly and apps and, you know, and their answer was, well, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Which means? Which means we don't charge our elderly for parking. And so, you know, you can accelerate tech adoption as much as you like, but actually there are some times when you shouldn't. And actually, that's a kind of retrofit fit that actually is deliciously brilliant, isn't it, in some ways? But you shouldn't have to get to that point where all, all elderly people are not able to go into city centres. It's brilliant and it's simple. But what it means is that if you had someone who was elderly and in that position on the design team when they were thinking about car parks and parking and the elderly and inclusion... That wouldn't have happened. Very interesting that you mention age as part of this uh, diversity conversation, because there are so many, there's so many different things that you need to think about, that being one of the many. Yes, exactly. So I prefer to think about inclusion, actually, because we've all got our own, we're all different and we should all celebrate difference. But if we think about it in terms of inclusion, that means everyone can have their moment in the sun and everyone can express their difference. And I think that, to me, feels more like the cultural side of how we build our digital future. OK, I'm going to come to that sort of thought about how you do that um, in a bit. So let's park. I'm going to literally write it down in my notes. How do you get that on your, you know, as part of the creative process, on your boards, etc.? Um, what about responsibility for um, building and deploying technology responsibly as well? Is it... And with that inclusive and diverse um, thought piece around it, is it is it governments? Is it industry? Is it business? Who is, is it? Academics? Who's who should it be responsible? Well, I mean, in your opening uh, words, Louise, you said the cavalry's not coming, and so there's a clue in there, isn't there? That um, probably it's at the individual level. But look, by 2050, there will be nine billion people to feed, to clothe, to transport, to employ, to educate. And unlike any generation before us in history, we probably have the know-how to design and build for that future. But whilst there's never been a more exciting time or challenging time to do the work that we do in tech, the responsibility to use that technology well has never weighed more heavily. And I would say that it's governments who need to get regulation and policy right. It's businesses who need to create that inclusive culture But it's also about us as individuals testing the elasticity of our tolerance every time we come up against somebody who's a bit different to us. And, you know, that tolerance. I heard John Amici say once, you know, cultures are defined by the worst behaviours that we tolerate. 
And I love that because that's so inviting. It means that we can all play our part in diverse and inclusive culture building. I love, I'm not, I don't think I've heard that phrase before, elasticity of tolerance. So, well, I mean, I mean, I mean can you give like, me an you know, example, um, do you think? When you get older, you, oh my God, these people love their music so loud or that, you know, that's thump, thump, thump. We've all done it, haven't we? And we're turning it, we're turning into <laughs> our parents, aren't we, actually? And so, yep. you know, I guess that's a little example of it. But actually, yep. you know, it's all about how the young people like to work these days. Some like to do it remotely. Some really don't like to do it remotely. So I think it's about, you know, employers, for example, n- learning how to attract talent um, who are much more interested in purpose and and changing the way in which our cultures, um, which may have existed for many, many years, need to adjust to attract talent as we move forward. I'm um, just going back to your, um, what that question I was asking about, you know, where um, the responsibility lies. And I think you come down on the side of, of, as you say, sort of us, all of us actually, and sort of business as well. But how do, you know, I'm, I'm not, well, I think I'm not in fact involved in technology, clearly I am, because I'm holding a phone that's <laughs> a computer and I'm sitting in front of a computer, but we're, we're, so we're all affected and use it. But how do we trust that the people who are in charge, who are making those decisions, are doing the right thing? Yeah, it's a great test, isn't it? It's interesting. Since COVID-19 struck, what I've noticed is that the power has shifted from the employer towards the employee. There's, you know, there's not enough talent. So everyone's desperate to employ great people. So the employer, the businesses have to make themselves much more attractive. And so that means that they've got to listen to what, you know, new talent wants And I think that shift in, you know, who's got the power now will actually shift cultures and make a difference to how we work and live together and work and live online, actually. And where does sort of morality come in that then? You're saying that it's down to sort of personal responsibilities and decision making? Yes, I do. I mean, I think there is, I mean, clearly, I think there is an opportunity for us all to shape and form the values that, you know, that companies um, work with. And also, I mean, we see it in government today, don't we? We are seeing a big shift right now as we speak, because, you know, we did not as a country, um, you know, we, we, we were all in the throes of thinking, well, we don't really like the way this is going. And, you know, people vote with their feet, don't they? Mm. And so then therefore change has to come. Okay, um, let's talk about uh, where does diverse thinking come into responsible technology? So other, I, I love your examples. I love the car parking example. What other examples do you have of where it can make a big difference? Gosh, well, I don't know about you, but, you know, there's so many examples of unconscious bias in our world. You know, offices are, you know, on average five degrees too cold for women because the temperature is set by, you know, men and, uh, or, you know, there are less loos for women um, than for men, even though we take 1.6 times longer to pee, apparently, um, you know, and so... Or just get ourselves sorted out. Oh, yeah, or just Whatever get ourselves sorted out. Um, and now, of course, we're sharing loos and all of that. But anyway, that's another, that's probably another podcast. But, you know, just small examples like most drugs are tested on male mice versus female mice leading to incorrect dosages being dished out to women. So many examples of bias. And so I think one of the things we have to do is we have to think about noticing the bias to start with, because I think we've lived with it for so long that we don't see it anymore. And then 
challenge it. But the only way you can challenge it is if you've been on the receiving end of it. Think about the football, you know, when the professional game was, you know, banned for so many years and you think, wow, why? And now there is, there are conversations going on to make sure that girls have access to football in schools because only, you know, 60% of them do today. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's very interesting. You're, and it goes back to your thing about your sort of elasticity of tolerance, you know, that it was tolerated that women were not allowed to play the game professionally. You do, and, and, you know, you know, us with fresh eyes and me at my age, I just go, that's completely bonkers. But obviously, yes. you know, it, it, at the time, people would have thought that was okay. And normal. And Yes, normal. Yes. Yes. Yep. Until, until you sort of, you know, take that out, take it out of, you know, the context in which we lived with it you know, you've got to have these young people. And that's what I'm saying. Young people, diverse voices, inclusive voices around the table to challenge the status quo. And that's really important. Okay. Um, you've set me up beautifully to re-ask that question, which I parked. People who are listening to this podcast would have noted. Um, how do you make sure then you get, for example, those young people, perhaps the older people with the car parking example, in at the start? Do you need them at the start, on the boards, where do you need them and how do you get them there? I don't think it's an always on kind of thing. Mm. I The way I've experienced it is on the boards that I sit on, we often have um, shadow boards. So we have people across the organisation who aren't at board level, but who are able to bring their voice from other parts of the organisation, you know, further down or sideways so that they can bring their voice. We have values champions who check us uh check that we're we're operating as a board, you know, with the values that we've um, decided to work together as a a company. But also, I think taking just groups of getting groups of people together to check whether what you're building is going to work in their world. You know, when Apple first brought out the Apple Watch, you know, many moons ago, they forgot about the women because they didn't mention the menopause on the health app. And you think, well, not the the, the men, menopause and menstruation. And you think, well, okay, well, on the basis that women hold up half the sky, that's half the market excluded. And, you know, that's nuts. But it just speaks to the design team. So the answer to your question is you've got to get them in at the point of design. You've also got to get them in at the point of testing and implementation. So, you know, I would say take a mental photograph of your teams and you decide if they feel and look diverse. It's not just how they look, it's how they think. Because if they all think in a group think kind of way, even though they might look different, then that doesn't help either. So, you know, if they're all educated at the same school and all from the same socioeconomic demographic, probably not a great win for diversity, mm. even if they look, look different. That's that's very interesting. I'm just thinking, I'm, I'm not wearing my watch today. I've got a watch that is you know, I love my watch, but it the, the strap is too big for me. And it would be big, too big for, you know, most people who are the same. <laughs> anyway, but that's, that's beside the point. Let's go back to the point you said about challenging status quo, because that is, you know, that is a deeply challenging thing for lots of people. You know, I've had to do that in my career. And, you know, how do you go about making that okay to do, making it not feel like it's career limiting to do? There are so many issues around it. Yeah, there are. I, I do remember. I, I do think humour is, is a useful ally here. I remember taking a group of customers to the Grand Prix 
uh, on and, and, and I decided in order to miss the traffic, we take a hospitality package, which included getting our clients on a helicopter, missing the traffic and getting into this, the, um, the, the uh, track. And it was so interesting because one of my team said to a customer, would you like to meet um, the CEO? And he said, oh, yes, yes, I would. I would definitely like to meet him. And he turned around and he said, oh, my God, you're a woman. And with all the flutter of, of helicopter whirring, I was thinking, did I hear that right? But anyway, I turned around and I smiled and I said, oh, my God, I didn't realise I needed a penis to make a decision. But let's discuss it over lunch. I'm thinking whether I'm allowed to say that on this podcast or not. But anyway. You can. I, was, I, think, I think I'm going to give you permission. <laughs> thank you. Um, so, so what happened after that was we had a fabulous lunch, but it was the humorous piece that broke the tension. Because honestly, I think if I had raged against the machine in that moment, I honestly believe I would not have had that customer for the next 25 years who spent probably way too much on software, but out of guilt, if nothing else. But, you know, the, the, (laughs) the point is, is that we you know, we actually formed a really strong working relationship. And and I would encourage that that's, you know, there are more ways than one to get to uh, your end game. Routes to success manifest themselves a lot in humour for me. And I think that's really useful. I admire your, um, your take on that. I'm not sure, you know, because it's very easy, isn't it, when to take offence, actually, at something like that. Yes, and, it, I'm, and I'm not saying that's still the wrong. I'm not saying that's wrong either. No, by the way, no, no. Either, is, neither, either could be right or wrong. I think you're right, and I think it's what works for you. I have found that humour works, um, not always, but in situations where there's some some tension could be dispelled and leveraged to my advantage. I I learnt that from Sun Tzu, the art of war. I don't know if you've ever read that, but it's um no, <laughs> you know, it's by Chinese roots, perhaps just searching for something. Right. <laughs> How interesting. Um, let me t- uh, let's me let also talk about the shortage of skills we're seeing, because presumably in the tech industry, like anything else, maybe particularly in tech, you know, we are seeing a massive shortage of skills at the moment. And can diverse thinking, inclusivity actually help with that shortage of skills and finding talent in technology? Yeah. And you don't have to be a technician to be in tech. Um, you know, there are so like every company in a technology in the technology sector, we have marketeers, we have people in HR, we have accountants, we have all the whole spectrum. Having said that, I work on the board of FDM group, and we specialize in focusing on non graduates, graduates, uh, ex armed forces, women returners, we have a huge array of people coming into the industry. And it's so great to have people who've had, you know, first or second careers beforehand, because pivoting those transferable skills into technology is makes them so productive so quickly. And so I would encourage you to think about whoever's listening about a career in tech, because we need you. I mean, I feel this intense stare. Did you need to, even someone like me? <laughs> totally, totally. Recruiting everybody, Louise. <laughs> um, I'm very interested. I mean, I'll have to sort of show my own um, conscious bias here, actually, um, to, in response. And everybody who's listened will probably take a little bit, you know, a different thing out of what you just said. But, you know, for me, it's that those returning women, you know, 
perhaps even, you know, not just returning after maternity leave, isn't it? You know, I'm at the stage now where my children are leaving home. And, you know, there are many of my peers who are at that stage and they've got enormous amounts of skill sets and, you know, academics, all the rest of it. But, you know, that's a huge untapped kind of talent out there, isn't there? And that's not, you know, that'd be across other other sectors as well, other age groups. Yeah, well, 100%. And I would encourage anyone who's listening to write down what they consider to be their transferable skills, like, you know, good work ethic, um, great problem solver, those kind of things. My daughter pivoted from musical theatre actress, you know, playing the lead, Carmen in fame in, in the musical. And she's now in the technology industry in a business called IFS. And she's teaching people in the technology industry how to perform and how to create very, very strong storytelling. So, you know, you can use your skills and leverage in her. Her fiance is, was a restaurant manager b- before COVID and is now, you know, he's problem solving on the front line in technical support. So, you know, it's so interesting how you can, you know, with a bit of help from a very, very bossy, uh, matriarchal figure saying you must be in tech but but it's you know it really is great right and it sounds you know there's a huge again diversity of jobs as well and and things to do yeah yeah, 100%. So I suppose, um, you know, you're so uniquely placed to give businesses uh, advice in how, you know, particularly they will be looking at, I mean, the, the incoming price increases coming towards us at breakneck speed are terrifying for businesses, aren't they? Whether it's the energy or whatever it is, it's absolutely terrifying kind of landscape for some businesses. So what is your advice for businesses deciding how they're going to grow amongst this, what is, what is probably going to be a very difficult operating landscape? Yeah. Well, the biggest the biggest expenditure in in most businesses is going to be the salary bill, and so yeah. you know my my advice would be automate as much as you can, and that's hard for small businesses because you you think oh that means I've got to be a tech expert, and that's simply not true. These days we have everything as a service, and so I would definitely definitely advise that small businesses should take um, take a look at how they could use things as a service, accountancy as a service, marketing as a service, all of these things, security as a service, so much easier for companies to use these days. And I've been lobbying the government through Tech UK to give tax breaks on OPEX to small businesses so that they can make that as a service opportunity, something that will power up the economic recovery. So number one, you don't have to do your own accounts or number two, you don't have to employ an accountant. So you can just what, pay it like you mo- my, your mobile phone bill, for example. Exactly. Exactly right. So you just subscribe and pay as a service. So much easier than thinking, oh, God, what accounting package do I have to put in and, and how do I use it? You delegate. Delegation is great in the technology world because someone else is always better at it. It's a bit like, you know, asking the kids to set up the television when it's new, isn't it? It's so much easier to do it that way. It's the same concept. (sighs) Yeah, I I completely can relate to that. Um, Okay, so let's also talk about um, investment as well. You you sort of hinted it in that. Um, Do companies need to keep investing in technology? And you're sort of talking, you're sort of, it's a sort of, it's not hardware you're talking about, is it? No, it isn't. It's about, you know, not fearing the rise of the robots, but using them to your advantage. And, and I mean that metaphorically, of course, but, but what I am saying is that the more you can, um, you can get 
automated, the faster you can get your invoices out and paid. I mean, all of that should not have fingerprints on them these days. It's so much easier to focus on the thing that you went into business to be passionate about. That's what you need to focus on because that's where your secret source is. <laughs> um, what about um, actual competitive advantage and making money? Does it matter? Will it make a difference if you actually build this inclusive culture into the way that you're doing things? The best ideas have always come from companies that are highly innovative. And I can tell you that the biggest scale-ups, we call them unicorns in tech, the biggest scale-ups that got to a billion dollars and above, those are the ones that have had diverse teams brought together to create amazing innovations and ideas, the simplest of ideas. And honestly, I would say that if anyone believes in diversity at all, this is your opportunity to create competitive advantage in a, in a stratospheric way, which can scale up your business beyond all your ambition. I, I honestly believe that that diversity and inclusion is your way forward. Wow. So how do you find these magic people that are going to help you <laughs> and give you these great ideas? <laughs> well, so so this is part of, you know, look outwards, not inwards. So yeah. it's, it's never going to come from, you know, from within. Large companies actually find it really hard to innovate from within. And that's why they hoover up the smaller businesses who've you know got together in their garage or their basements or attics and what have you and come together to form that thing that the big companies can't do. And so I definitely think there is a one plus one equals 11 somewhere. Look to the smaller businesses for your innovation and growth. They will be the diverse thinkers and they will be the people that will build your business advantage. I think that's a lovely idea and really optimistic note uh, to come towards the end of the podcast. So listening, if you, what would you, one thing you'd like people to take away uh, from today's conversation, do you think, to, you know, to make the difference to their business um, and also to themselves as well? Yeah, well, I would say that on diversity, probably the greatest threat to diversity is the belief that somebody else will fix it. And I believe that it is around our individual decisions, our reactions and triggers to people who are different to us. It's about making sure that we are the peacemakers. We are the people that create you know, the inclusive, innovative teams that, that build that business advantage. And don't delegate it to someone else because it's not a problem that's over there. It's a problem that's here. It's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. We have been around the houses, the car parks. We've had a little bit of uh, Chinese philosophy as well. Is that how we would talk about it? Definitely. <laughs> Jacqueline, it's a real pleasure to talk to you. Um, I feel there's so much knowledge there that we've gained uh, from speaking to you. Thank you very much indeed. And I shall, I shall rethink my career. I mean, you know, it's one year since I left my job. So <laughs> maybe it's time for a career in tech in some form. Come on in. The water's lovely. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. Jacqueline de Rojas, thank you.